Happy New Year, MCC. Are you guys feeling good today? Good, 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 good. Hey, uh, raise your hand if you have some bad habits. Look at you guys. Starting 2020 out the right way, just being completely honest at church because a pastor asked you. Way to go. Um, so uh, we're starting off this new year, and we're starting off leaning into this idea of the habits that we have, the habits we would hope to have, and how little, small decisions could actually make really, really big differences in our lives. And so I'm excited about this. Uh, this, this topic, this idea of the habits that we have and the habits we create, I've seen actually change my life in some incredibly powerful ways. When it comes to habits too, most of you have seen this happen too. You've been negatively affected. You felt heartbreak. You felt abandonment, struggle because of someone else's negative habits. The reality that we all come to with this idea of habits is that, man, they have power over our lives. They affect us in certain ways. They have an amazing power for good, but at the same time, they have an amazing power for bad. And what I want to talk about as we enter into this four-week series is how we can leverage these in order to experience the life that God created us to have. All right? So if you're here and you're your very first time, man, welcome in to MCC. We're so excited that you start off your new year hanging out with us here. Uh, my name's Trent. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, lead pastor here. Um, really, really excited that you would, again, take some time. There's a Connect card right there in the chair in front of you. You can take that, fill it out. Uh, we've got a little gift for you out there at the Connect table afterwards. I'd love to get a chance to meet you if I haven't yet. And, um, yeah, it's going to be good. We'll get to know each other, get to go um, to where Jesus has us. All right, let's pray, and we're going to dive into his word. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you have uh, brought us all here together today to be able to hopefully, Jesus, experience what you have in store. Father, I pray that when we show up and we gather together around your word, there's not just knowledge that is transferred, but it's truth that when taken and applied can radically transform. And Father, I know there's people here today who came in for all sorts of different reasons. Um, they're struggling with all sorts of different things. And Father, I pray that you would meet them right where you are through your word. Uh, I believe for every single person sitting in every single one of these chairs this morning, that you had something unique that you wanted to speak to them this morning. And today that they would tune in not to hear me, but they would tune in to hear you. The Heavenly Father one who knew everything about them, has seen everything they've ever done, known every thought that they've ever known, and loves them unconditionally. And they would hear what you would have to say. In your name, amen. Well, we're entering into this series, Lean Into Habits. And before we do, I've got to give credit where, where credit is due. Um, this idea of habits and habits we create and how they affect our lives has been something that's been fascinated, fascinating to me as a husband, leader, dad, pastor. And so I've tried to learn how to create healthy habits. And there's been three books uh, in my life that have been critical for helping me understand the power of habits. And they've changed my life in ways that I can't really fully describe to you. Um, the three books are this, and that points throughout this uh, sermon, you may go, hey, well, that sounds like it's from that book. Yeah, probably is. Um, so uh, the first book is kind of the classic in this. It's called The Power of Habit. 
It's by a guy named Charles Duhigg. Great book. If you're here and you're like, man, I'm a leader, I'm a business owner, um, I'm a parent who's trying to get my kid uh, to have good habits, um, these are great books, great resources in this. You filter it through the lens of God's word and your faith, and man, um, it's some just really, really foundational truth. So The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg is the first one. The next one, um, this one's called The Compound Effect by a guy named Darren Hardy. Um, If you're a parent here and you got a teenager, I would recommend that you pay your teenager to read the book The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. I'm not kidding. I would just make the investment, pay, give them 15 bucks, 20 bucks, I don't know, whatever amount it matters to your kid, but pay your child to read this book. And you're like, yes, I'll have to buy them the book. I had to pay for that. You have to pay for both of them. I'm telling you, it'll be a worthy investment. Last book is called uh, Atomic Habits. That's by a guy named James Clear. All three really, really great books. And I, I would say, man, if you're a leader, you want to, if this kind of whets an appetite for you, uh, go dive into it. It'll make you a better leader. And I, better, I believe a better follower of Christ as well. So you may be like, hey, well, why, are we, why are we talking about habits? Like, why can't we do a series on Daniel or David or Jeremiah or Isaiah or Obadiah or Gideon? Well, I believe there's a common thread through all of those guys' life. And it's the habits that they had. The habits that they had that led to them being guys who found their lives to be worthy lives to find their way into scripture to be able to even be studied. And so simply put, why are we digging into the idea of habits for four weeks? If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. So we're going to talk about habits because successful people do consistently, habitually, what other people only do occasionally. And you know this principle, you've seen this play out in life. The people who you would look to and you may say, I want to have a, a walk with Jesus, like their walk with Jesus. Well, they have that because they do consistently, periodically, over time, habitually, things that maybe someone who doesn't have that same walk with Jesus, they may only do occasionally. You look at somebody who you, you feel like is just financially crushing it. They, they, have, they don't worry about money. They've got the monkey of debt off of their back. Well, that person is there because periodically, strategically, over time, they have done things consistently. They have not bought that. They have uh, saved that money. They have paid off those things incrementally. They have created a debt snowball. They've taken classes or courses. They've invested in the right things. They've done those things consistently that sometimes other people just never, ever do or very seldom do. And this principle is actually something that you even see throughout Scripture. It's something that we see in guys like Jesus and Paul. Because when you look at a guy like Jesus and you look at a guy like Paul, I think we could all kind of get on the same page and agree. These guys were spiritually successful. Uh, Paul, the reason you're kind of in this room is because he spread the message to people called Gentiles. And that's you, unless you're Jewish. If you're here and you're Jewish, um, don't give Paul any credit. But if you're not, you got to give Paul some credit. Okay, And Jesus, again, he's the whole reason we're here. Uh, Jesus is kind of a big deal. He's the reason, um, not for the season we just got out of, but every season. And so we would say Jesus is successful spiritually. But here's the thing. There's one thing that neither of these guys ever said. I'm willing to bet they never said. I am so busy, I just don't have time to go pray. I don't have time to connect with God. I don't think they ever said that. I don't think Jesus ever went, man, I just don't have time to go connect with the Father. Peter's constantly getting on my nerves. Judas always wants receipts so he can do expense reports. I just don't have time to connect with Jesus. God, he is Jesus. He is himself. But what we see over and over again is Jesus in the Bible. It says, and Jesus withdrew to the wilderness to be with his Father. 
And then you go a couple of verses and you go a couple more verses and it says, and then Jesus withdrew to the wilderness to be with his father. Even the apostle Paul, in the book of Acts, there's this account of him going and it says that he had a habit of going into the city. And he'd go into the city where all these people, they met and they philosophized about like what was the purpose of life and all these things. And Paul had a habit of going here and entering into their conversation with hopes of winning people for Christ. And so you may be sitting there and kind of going, well, okay, well, um, I I get this and um, I understand what you're saying, but I I want you to understand this. That this idea of successful people doing consistently what other people only do occasionally, it's, it's good, but it's not the foundational level that we need to be at. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, that's kind of the level that you're at. You're saying, hey, man, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, like a, just a good life principle would be to just go and do the things that no one else is doing, do those things that are harder, do those things consistently, and you'll have a successful life. But for you, if you're in this room and you call yourself a follower of Christ, your definition of success is different. Because the reality for you is, The definition of success for a Christian is not the same definition of success in our world. I know that's hard because it's hard to look around. You see a bunch of Christians and you go, oh, they're they're successful. By what standard? And so if you're taking notes, write this down. That for a follower of Christ, successful equals faithful. If you're a follower of Christ, successful equals faithful. And what this means is in your life, Young person, old person, middle person. Success may come to your life, but success is not the call on your life. The call on your life is to be faithful. Faithful to what, you may ask? Faithful to Jesus. And so I want to preface everything I'm getting ready to say to say that, man, when we get to heaven, Jesus is not going to look at you, if you make it. He's not going to look at you and go, well done, Good and successful servant. He will look at you and go, well done, good and faithful servant. So if you, again, if you're a follower of Christ, here, and, and again, I hope you take a deep breath and breathe that in and breathe that out because, man, that should be a burden lifted off of some of you who are trying to grind, who are trying to hustle or trying to do all these things and trying to be as successful as you possibly can. And some of that is even overflowing in your relationship with Jesus. And Jesus may be looking at you and be like, hey, man, like, I don't need you to hustle our relationship. I just need you to be faithful to it. I love what um, the author of Hebrews said in Hebrews 11.6. It's, it's going to be on the screen. You can check it out. Hebrews 11.6. The author is writing. He says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. The, he, the him there is Jesus. The him there is God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, that he rewards those who seek him. Okay, you, you see the process there, right? He says, And without Not success, not a great 401k, not a lot of followers on Instagram. He says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. But then he draws it back in. Because this idea that, man, okay, like, success isn't my call, but success may come. He's saying, with faith, there may be a reward. God rewards those who faithfully seek him. And I love that about God. Because he sees our hearts and he knows whether or not we're faithfully seeking him. So what this means then for us, and this is, this is a big thing here, so lean in, this means that your success, 
the success you want, in whatever area of your life, the successfulness in life depends on your faithfulness to Christ. Your successfulness in life. I, I, I know there's books out there, there's all this. If you're a follower of Jesus, your successfulness in life depends on your faithfulness to Christ. Now, some of you hear that, and you're like me, and you go, well, that's scary. <laughs> because you look at your own life, and you look at how many times you have failed to be faithful to Jesus. And you say, man, if my success in life depends on my faithfulness to Jesus, ha, we're in trouble. Because I make it a good two or three days, and then I fail. And I go back on my word, and I'm dealing with that same habit that I've had since middle school. And so if you're anything like me, maybe inside your head you're asking yourself this question. It's going to be on the screens, and I bet you've probably asked yourself a question sim similar to this. If my successfulness in life depends on my faithfulness to Christ, then what does my faithfulness to Christ depend on? What does your faithfulness to Christ depend on? Like if your success in life depends on your faithfulness to him, what does your faithfulness to him depend on? Does it depend on your good works? Does it depend on your, your ability to say the right thing and do the right thing and be at the right place and, and, and dress your kids the right way and, and, and have you know, a good moral understanding and be a good upriding citizen? What does your faithfulness to him depend on? See, so many of us have spent the majority of our Christian lives with faith that depends on our faith in Jesus. But here's what I want to make this place where you can change is to understand that the answer to this question of what does my faithfulness to him depend on is his faithfulness to us. It's his faithfulness to you. Your faithfulness to him does not depend on what you do. Your faithfulness to him depends on his faithfulness to you and that being on display in his finished work on the cross. That's what your faith to him depends on. And so for those of you who've been looking at all your works, who, you know, you've got your stat sheet up when you do your quiet time in the morning, okay, well, I haven't done that in 14 weeks, and I've done that for the last 17 weeks. I'm crushing it. No. That's not going to carry you through the storms of life. That's not going to get you through a dark night of the soul. The only thing that will is seeing and savoring his continual, perpetual, unrelenting, unconditional faithfulness to you despite all of your attempts to run away. I love the words of the song, Reckless Love. There is no shadow he won't light up. There is no mountain he won't climb up. There is no lie he won't kick down. He's coming after you. It is all about his faithfulness to you and not your faithfulness to him. And so that's the foundation, okay? So when you hear me talk about success in here, when you talk, hear me talk about like winning and crushing it and all those things, that, that's the foundation that has to be laid as we enter into this series. I'm going to continue to circle back for that, but that's the foundation. So in review, Christ is faithful to you. That inspires and enables us to be faithful to him. That faithfulness is made evident by fruitfulness in your life, fruitfulness that other people can see. That fruitfulness happens through habits. And those habits are the things that successful people do consistently that other people do only occasionally. Okay? So we're all on the same page. 
Tracking? You're, you're here? How many, anybody's mind blown yet? Okay, good, good. Okay, we're all, we're all on the same page. Okay, so let's lean into habits. Okay, we're going to lean into habits. Okay, so this week we're going to talk about um, who before do. All right, you're going to understand what that means in a little while. Next week, we're going to talk about the habits to start and how to start a habit the right way. The week after that, anybody got a habit? that We, we started out today saying who has a habit they need to break. Okay, don't miss week three. Week three, we're going to talk about how to break it. Okay, that's what we're going to talk about. And then week four, we're going to talk about an us habit. A habit that if we collectively could get on board with, it would radically change not just what happens in our church, but what happens in our city, in our country, in our world. All right, so that's where we're going. So there's a quote that I love by a guy named Stephen Covey. He says this. He says, our habits make or break us. Our habits make or break us. We become what we repeatedly do. Our habits make or break us. We become what we repeatedly do. Now, I heard that. As I was preparing this, this, message, this message this week, and, and man, I, I felt it in a new way because I felt like the Holy Spirit asked me this question that I didn't really like because I had to wade through some of my own stuff. If habits make or break me and I become what I repeatedly do, then I had to ask myself this question I hope you'll ask yourself, which is, what are your habits leading you to become? Now, hopefully you have some good habits, and they're leading you to become a better husband, a better wife, a better uh, student, a better friend. Hopefully you have some of those. But what about those habits that you think are just harmless? They're not hurting anybody. Nobody notices but me. They're the ones you feel a little bit of guilt and shame about that you've done so many times. And, and, and maybe of them, some of the, you don't even feel guilt about them at this point. Maybe there's some things as simple as just the habit that you, man, when you get that notification on Sunday, if you're an iPhone user, you get a notification on Sunday that tells you how much time you've spent looking at your screen. And you get that, and you go, oh, gosh. And you blame it on the holidays. Well, you were with your family. Like, that's not good either. But here's the deal. Okay, take that habit, for instance, one that we would deem harmless. Okay, maybe it's harmless, but what does that lead you to become? Play it down the road a little way. Is that, is that habit of spending four hours a day looking at a phone, is that leading me to become someone who is disengaged with the humans around me and looking at the humans in front of me on my phone who really aren't even there? Maybe, maybe you, have, you have a hobbit. Of, of hobbit. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. Maybe you have a ha- habit. See, let's do it again. A habit of gossip, and you play it off. And you just say, "Man, I just need to tell somebody else so they could be praying." Um, I would never happen, right? Never, never. Y'all laugh because you've done it. Oh, that's awesome. Um, but okay, okay. Well, what does that lead you to become? A friend who's not trustworthy. That harmless habit that, that maybe some of you have when uh, maybe you're, you're home alone or, or, or you, know, you, you find yourself in a desperate moment and, and you have a habit of looking at things online that you shouldn't. Okay, well, maybe it's harmless. But what is that leading you to become? Is that leading you to become someone who just looks at another human being as a means to an end? As a form of your pleasure and your justification because you were needy? See, that, that's the thing. I think sometimes when we have these habits in our life, and if we take this reality to, to heart that habits make or break us, and we become what we perpetually do, man, we've got to ask that question, well, what are my habits leading me to? And how do I 
counteract them and, and, and get in front of them. And so that's why I wanted to lean in and talk to you guys about this today because for all of us, this is a new year. We're kind of entering the season of life where it's like, all right, well, we want to start some new things. Man, I asked the first service, I don't know if it's because they're a little bit older than this one, but I said, how many of you have even set a New Year's resolution? And I feel like the only person that raised their hand was like 19-year-old or like teenage girl who's on the front row. I'll ask again in here because I just want to see who I'm working with. Anybody set a New Year's resolution? Okay, don't be ashamed. Okay, way to go. Okay, like I think that's good. That's honorable. The reality is though, man, for so many of us, that, and again, like the stats on it, is like 95% of those New Year's resolutions won't make it to Valentine's Day. So we got that going for us. Um, and a lot of times, despite our best intentions, we still fail. And when we do, I bet you I felt like I have, and we felt like the Apostle Paul did. Paul wrote in Romans 17, if you got a Bible, you can turn there. If you got the um, Bible app on your phone, you can open it up, or you can just look up there. Romans 17, Paul's talking, and this is what he says. Not 17, Romans 7, verse 15. He says, I do not understand what I do. Amen. No? <laughs> you know you agree with that. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. He goes on in verse 18 and 19, he says, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Anybody agree, like, I have the desire to do what is good. I have the desire. I, have the, I, I want to, I genuinely want to. But he says, I cannot carry it out. Verse 19 says, For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. See, the Bible is not just a book that was written a whole long time ago that's just a bunch of fairy tales and stories. It has nothing to do with your real life. These are real life people who struggle with the same things that you do and felt the same mental gymnastics that you did about what you're struggling with. And Paul, he even does what our tendency to do is, which is to connect our failure and our inability to do something despite our best intentions to our identity. Look what he says next in verse 24 and 25. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And then you see him change a corner. He says, who's going to rescue me from this? And then he says, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who can deliver me? Who can set me free from this bondage? Who can work through my intentions, pass those into what I need? And he says, thanks be to Jesus. He's my deliverer. He's my supply. He's my hope. He's my help. He is the one who's working together to make all things new. He's the one who said to people like me and to you, if you are in me, you're a new creation. That's who Jesus is. And so if we're going to be a people who enters into 2020 and actually are anything different, we have to have this foundational truth deep inside our hearts. Because despite a lot of our best intentions, we can all tend to fail. And what we could tell in here, if we polled everybody and we said, okay, what are just your life goals? Like we went through and just asked everybody, what are your life goals? You know what we would hear? A lot of the same stuff. Like I want to be at peace. Like I want to have a good family. I, I want to have a decent job. I want to not drive a car that smells like puberty and Fritos. I, we would have very similar things. 
No, I'm not talking about my car. Yes, I am talking about my car. I don't know why it smells like that. I, I don't know. I don't know. I can't get it out. But here's the deal. So many of us, despite similar goals and despite genuinely good intentions, we're all over the place. Some of you have very similar goals, but some of you are, are just way off. Some of you are doing crushing it financially. And this very same people, you have terrible relationships. You've burnt more bridges in the past five years than you care to admit. Some of you, your relationship with Jesus is amazing, but you haven't eaten broccoli since 73. And it shows. Don't elbow anybody. And so how do, we, how, do we, how do we balance this out and get on the same page? That's what I want us through. What I want to walk you through is I want to walk you through the reasons we fail. Despite the best intentions, the reasons we fail. The first one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Is we tend to focus on the what and we don't understand the how. We tend to focus on the what, but we don't understand the how. So we focus on the result that we want, but we don't understand how to actually get there. In one of the books I was reading, it said that goals don't determine success. The systems you put in place determine the success. So your goals are good, great, have good goals. But the reality is the thing that leads you to the goals is the systems that you create. Now, you may be going, hey, that doesn't sound very spiritual. Let me introduce you to this guy named Daniel. Daniel was this guy who was this leader uh, for the nation of Israel. And Daniel and his whole family, they got taken captivity by the Babylonians. Babylonians was, you know, evil empire, came in, took his whole family. Now what they did, the Babylonians, they were smart. They wanted to take the cream of the crop of Israelites' male leaders. And so they took Daniel and about 120 other just high-capacity leaders, and they took them and they had them basically in this crash course, like super leadership class, to be able to train them up so that they could be of use to the Babylonian kingdom. And Daniel... He's already in the select group of leaders, established. He's in the gifted program. We had that when I was in school. I don't know how I made it in. He's in there, and what you see happening through, through, through Daniel's book is Daniel continues to rise and rise and rise. He rises so much that he actually begins to surpass the people who are the Babylonians. And so he, as this outsider, this cultural alien, he begins to pass the people who are there. So much so that he gets the attention of the guy who's the king. His name's Darius. And Darius wants to promote Daniel and give him more leadership, give him more responsibility. But Daniel has haters. Daniel has haters because they're these other Babylonian leaders and they see what Daniel's doing. So what they do is they decide, we need to create a law because we got to get this guy out of here. He's not one of us. And so they go to Darius and, and Darius, he's got a huge ego. And so they go to Darius and they say, let's, you're, they, again, they fluff him up so much. They say, you're the best, you're the best. You're so good that we should write a law that nobody can pray to anybody except for you for 30 days. And Darius, because he's an egotistical maniac, he goes, that's a great law. And he signs off on it. Now these guys knew because they had seen Daniel over and over and over again live this out. Daniel had this habit. Daniel had this habit that three times a day he would pray to God. And the whole reason these guys gave, uh, went to Darius to write this law was so that they could get Daniel killed. And I love, if you've got a Bible, you can go to Daniel 6.10. It shows what Daniel does after this. So he's already got the habit. Law comes down, and in Daniel 6.10, we see what actually happens. It says, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, as usual, as usual, as usual. 
as usual, in his upstairs room with his windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. See, when the proverbial poop hit the fan in Daniel's life, he didn't rise to the level of his goals. He fell to the level of his systems. And his system was great because his system was revolving around a relationship with God. And so he goes and he says, listen, I'm not going to pray to Darius. I don't care. Throw me in the lion's den. I'm not praying to Darius. And so he says, this is my habit. Because I've had this habit so much, I know who my identity is. I know who I am. I know who I'm not. And I'm not someone who's going to pray to a man because I know the creator of man, Yahweh. I'm going to pray to him, come heck or high water. Come a lion's den or a bear den or a cougar den or a chihuahua den. Whatever den I get thrown in, I don't care. I'm going in. And the reason that he's victorious through this, and the reason that's one of the stories we love to tell our kids at bedtime, I would argue, is because he had a habit that gave him hope in a hopeless situation. And so I would say to you, maybe it's less about what you're trying to figure out and more it's about the system you need to change. So here's the deal, that result that you want, man, just focus on the system it would take to get that result and the result will happen. The second reason why we fail is we don't see progress fast enough. Man, this gets me all the time. We don't see progress fast enough. We start something, man, we're like, hey, listen, I'm going to get in shape. And we go on a treadmill three days a week. We run our little bit of miles. We do our thing. And we get on the scale on Friday and we gain seven pounds. And we're like, bump this. Where's little Debbie at when I need her? Or you would say, man, uh, like you, you college students or postgrads, you, you get this idea, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get out of debt, I'm going to crush this student loan, and I'm going to make this happen. So you, you know, decide, I'm going to cancel all these extra TV subscriptions, and you cancel your Hulu, and you cancel your Netflix, and you cancel your Zumu, and your Disney Plus, because you're a millennial, and you, you got to go back down and be nostalgic. You cancel uh, your HBO, you cancel, you even call your friend to tell them to cancel the one you were borrowing from them. You cancel it all. Growing. You cancel it all. And you save $100 a month. And at the end of that month, now your student loan isn't $30,500, it's $30,400. And you're like, I'm not even making a dent in this. What's the point? And so because we do that, we get to this place where we, where we think that our small decisions don't matter. Because we didn't see anything bad happen from those. But at the same time, the flip side of that is true. We think that our bad decisions don't matter because we didn't see anything negative from those. Let me play it out like this. Imagine, like, say you want to be a great parent. You just said, hey, 2020, I want to be more present as a parent. I want to do a better job on that. And so you go and you say, listen, uh, tonight, Sunday night, we had church. We're going to sit down together as a family. We're going to actually eat at the dining room table, TV off, phones are on the counter in the kitchen. Everybody put theirs. Yes, you, everybody. And then you sit down, and you pray. everybody hold, you even do the thing where you hold hands at dinner, and you, everybody's reaching, everybody's holding hands at the dinner table. You do that, everybody eats. You open your Bible up, maybe even read a, a little verse of scripture. You play a family board game, it's the best night. It's just great. You feel like your family connected with God that night. 
You wake up the next day, your teenage daughter comes downstairs. Good morning, Father. It is so great to be in the presence of the Lord today. I am so blessed for this roof over my head, the, the food that I'm getting ready to go eat that you provided to me. And listen, Mom, Dad, I've been thinking and praying, and, and, I, and I fasted. Um, I, I now believe that you're right. I, I should break up with the guy with the nose ring. And um, I just I, I understand, and I, I finally agree with you on this. And so I'm making these changes. Is that, is that what happens? I don't have a teenager. I don't know. Okay, okay, just making sure. See, see, because we, we know that, man, if I do this once, nothing great is going to happen. And the same is true, like, if you're your you're, you're dad, and, you, and you're like, man, I just got to work, I got to work. And, man, I know this week, I know my kids want me to be home, but I, I can't. I got to really dig in here. And all, not, all that week, you don't make it home to put your kids into bed, not one single time. You're not going to show up on Saturday and go in and be like, your kids will be like, you're dead to me. Three little bears isn't going to read itself, pops. That doesn't happen. And so since we conclude that there is no immediate benefit for our small right choices and there's no immediate consequence for our negative choices, we just continue on with the way things always have been. But what I want you to understand in this is that there is change that is possible with small deposits of time over time. Last night I had to cook dinner. Uh, I got to cook dinner last night. <laughs> and I made spaghetti. I love you, Jess. Um, and I had to boil water, and I, I, I didn't really... <laughs> I knew how to boil water. Let me say that. <laughs> I didn't know if you put the spaghetti in first, or you let the water boil first. I figured it out, or she figured it out for me. Um, so I'm sitting there, and I'm watching the water boil. And, and what I realize is, is, is what you've seen, if you've ever watched Water Boil Husbands, it's cool. Um, you, you sit there and, and you watch it, and there's nothing noticeably different that happens. And if you know the science behind it, once it hits that boiling point temperature, it's like 200-something. Once it hits that one temperature, we'll just say it's 220. Anybody know the boiling point temperature? 12. I was close. Um, so at 211, no visible difference. 212, Visible notice a difference. What we forget sometimes is that from 1 to 211, those were incremental. Incremental. Making up words. Incremental. One degree changes. And so for some of you, I need to encourage you, man. The things that you're doing that no one is seeing right now. In a couple of months, people are going to look at you and they're going to go, man, they're an overnight success. I don't know how that happened. I don't know where their faith, how their faith got that way. Because here's the deal. No one is going to see the nights where you're ready to give up and throw in the towel, but you don't. No one is going to see the early mornings where you rise up to pray over your family. No one's going to see you hold your tongue when people at your work are talking about you behind your back. No one's going to see you not actually hang that finger out of the window when someone in McDonough traffic cuts you off. No one's going to see all those things, but those small incremental things over a consistent period of time lead to that noticeable difference where people look at you and they go, man, there is something different, but it takes doing those things habitually over time and understanding what it talks about in Galatians 6, 9. One of my absolute favorite verses, Galatians 6, 9 says this, let us not grow weary in doing good. 
for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let us not grow weary in praying for our families. Let us not grow weary in reading God's word to our kids. Let us not grow weary in being generous with our finances. Let us not grow weary in sharing our faith. Let us not grow weary in eating right. Let us not grow weary in giving our best at work and knowing that we're doing it to God and not to a boss. Let us not grow weary because at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. The third reason we fail is because of our distortion our distorted identity sabotages our success. Our distorted identity sabotages our success. Remember what Paul said? He went through this vicious cycle. He says, what a miserable man I am. It became his identity. And so many of you, you've allowed your identity to shape your action. You've allowed your identity to shape your action. And here's the deal. Identity does shape action for positive or for negative. And it creates these spirals. It creates these loops. Here's what it, the way it works. And you, parents, you, you can see this in your kids. Some of you can see this in your own life. If, if you see an individual or you are as a person, there is an unhealthy identity. And parents, man, we got to be careful. You're out in public with your kid. Oh, they're my shy one. Well, are they shy? Or do they have shy tendencies? Well, he's an animal. Okay, there's power in your words, and they hear them. Be careful. See, a, a, a negative identity, what that does is that leads to negative actions, negative habits. And those negative habits, when they happen, what they do is they come around and they reinforce the negative identity, and they solidify it over time. In the same way, it works from the positive side. You have a positive identity. You understand who you are in Christ. You create positive habits. And those things lead to you to say, man, my identity is, who, is in who I am in Christ because our identity shapes our action. I love what Paul says in Romans 8 9 on this. If you've got a Bible, Romans 6, amazing passage of Scripture. He says to the believers in Rome, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. So that old sinful self, the old parts of you, the old things you used to do, all those things, it's been crucified with Christ. Which, friend, means it's dead. The only thing that could live through a crucifixion is Jesus. Your past cannot live through a crucifixion. So that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will live with him. It's verse 11, I love this verse. Skip on down to it, verse 11. Game changer verse for you. So you should also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. And I just wonder, man, what if in 2020, when your feet hit the floor, you didn't consider yourself just someone who was trying to make it through a day, to make it through whatever temptation Satan threw at you. But what if when your feet hit the floor, you lived out Romans six eleven type of faith. When your feet hit the floor, you considered yourself dead to the power of sin. If you said, man, I'm awake, I'm dead to the power of sin. I'm dead to it. 
Again, like think about it in your body. Like, man, if you uh, have uh, a stroke or something and, and one, you know, part of your body becomes paralyzed, it's dead. That means it has no feeling. So if my left arm was, it was dead, it was numb, and you came up to me and you held a lighter to it. This is where there's danger for people who have these types of disabilities. If you held a lighter to it, I couldn't feel it. And my thing is, guys, I think there are some of you, you are feeling sin far too much because you have failed to realize that you are dead to it. Paul goes on and he says, 16 through 18, he says, don't you realize that you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey? You will become a slave to the voice in your head if you choose to obey it. You will become a slave to the image you're trying to portray on social media if you choose to obey it. You will become a slave to the voice of that parent who's been dead for 30 years if you choose to obey it. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Verse 17, thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but you were wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery of sin, and you have become slaves of righteous living. To sum this verse up, to put it in a few short words, what Paul is saying here is when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Your identity has got to be in Christ. And so my, my thing this, this year, and, and this, is, this is where we're going to land this plane, and what I want you to take home from here is asking you this big question of who do you want to become? See, before we figure out, man, I want to lose 15 pounds, I want to get this, I want to get that, the big question is who do you want to become? Not what dress size do you want to have, not how much do you want to bench press, not what car do you want to drive, what promotion you want to get. Who do you want to become? As I was thinking through this in my own life, I started to think about, man, what if, what if I died in five years? If I died in five years, sorry to get morbid on New Year's stuff, but what if I, what if I passed away in five years? And from right now to right then, I didn't change at all. What would be said at my funeral? Like when people got up on a stage, probably this one, and talked about me, what, what would they say? I think they would say things like, he's a great husband. He was always there. He was always faithful. I think they would say things like, he was a dad that other people inspired to be. He was always there for his boys. He was an intentional parent. He gave parenting his all. I think that they would say he was a faithful steward of God's word. He was a faithful preacher of the gospel. He was a good leader. But as I thought through what I would want them to say, one of the things that I, I realized may not be said, and if it would have been said, I don't think it would be as honest as I would want it to be. I don't know if anybody would get on a stage and say, Trent was a great friend to me. He's a great pastor. He's a great father. He's a great husband to people in his family. But was he a good friend? And so we're going to walk you guys through an exercise. You know, this whole series about the idea that little systematic things can make a big difference. And we saw even in the video walking in here that a domino effect can occur in your life. And so as you leave today, you're going to get one of these. 
just a little domino, not one with all the numbers and everything on it, but you're gonna get out of, out of that door, that door, and that door. I want everybody in here today to take one of these home with you. And I'm not telling you to write on here, I wanna lose 10 pounds. Not telling you to write on here, I, I wanna get out of debt. I want you to write on here who you want to become. Because for me, I know in 2020, I wanna be a better friend. So what I've realized is, man, as an adult, it was easy to have friends in college. You were around them all the time, you were there, you, you knew it. And you become adult and you have toddlers, if something happens. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like you have, you have kids and it's like, it's so hard, it's hard to have friends anymore. That's why I'm thankful for our life group because man, I see some of that starting to happen and God affirmed it to me this way. And I would, if you, oh, you wouldn't believe me if I told you how he affirmed it to me because it wasn't a common place. Uh, but he affirmed this in my heart this week. And I believe, hear me, I believe he wants to affirm what he wants you to focus in on, to be the who that he wants you to become. Now, again, some of you, you might just write Jesus on there. And if that's really what you feel like Jesus is leading you to, to die, I just want to become Jesus. Yes, that's the end game, all right? Jesus is in us. It's not a matter of you just trying to pretend to become like Jesus. It's literally when you're a follower of Christ, it's him living inside of you, his life coming out of you. But here, Jesus is pretty broad too, bro. He's a great friend. He also didn't mince words. He was a great friend. He was a peacemaker too. He was a great steward of what he had. He had a fearless faith. There's attributes of, I mean, if you don't know where to start, and if you look at your own life and you're like, man, who am I going to become? Man, I look at everything and I just don't have any hope. Well, just go look at Jesus and find something in his life. I want to become, man, that one thing I see about him, I want to become that this year. And your homework Mine's already rubbed off because of the sweat in my pocket. Um, but I want you to take one of these, grab a Sharpie, and write down who you want to become this year. And I want you to bring it with you. Bring it back. Don't, like, keep it in your purse if you're a lady or if you're a man and you're into that. Um, don't do a judgment-free zone. I see a lot of dudes with fanny packs on nowadays. Um, Put it in your truck, put it in your cup holder, put it in your pocket, fellas. Keep it with you this week. And when there's some sort of temptation to, to, to be something that's not this, just put it in your hand in your pocket, reach your hand in your purse, do what you got to do. Remind yourself, no, 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 that's not who I'm becoming this year. And some of you, you're the overachievers, and you're going to be, okay, okay, well, if I'm going to be a good friend this year, well, I've got to start doing this habit, this habit, this habit, and this habit. Slow down. We'll get there. That's what next, next week about is about starting. We're going to start some things next week. Next week, we're going to start some things, okay? This week, from, from this Sunday to this Sunday, I just want you to get some time alone with Jesus and ask him that question. Who do you want me to become? Who do you want me to focus on becoming this year? And my prayer is that you understand that there is a whole lot of grace that is made available and ready for you. That you're going to mess up. But it's not about if you mess up, it's about whether or not you're willing to get back up and try again. And I pray for every single one of you, man, that you know that Jesus is real, that he's here, and he wants to do amazing, miraculous things in your life. But it's gonna start with some small decision. The decision that's right in front of you right now is to stand and to worship you, worship him with your whole heart. To say, 
there's this amazing grace that has found me. And Jesus, I need you to be alive in me in 2020 like you have never been before. I don't want this to be a year where I look back and I'm just like, I was kind of the same, 2019, 2020, just put them together. No, I want this to be a flag in the ground year for me where I look back and I know, man, I became something different. I became a friend like Jesus, a mom like Jesus, a dad like Jesus, a church attender like Jesus, an employee like Jesus because he was alive in me. Jesus, we love you. Goodness gracious, we are helpless without you. I pray, Lord, pray that we, your people, we would not become weary in doing good, but we would hold on to the promise that there is a harvest that is coming for those who do not give your name, Jesus.